Today's podcast is sponsored by the people at Aura.com. Now, Aura offers identity theft protection, fraud monitoring, a VPN, password management, and antivirus software all in one easy-to-use app. This means that if your online accounts or passwords are leaked online, you'll be alerted quickly, which means that you can be secure from hackers, scammers, and noisy advertising companies. The narcissists are everywhere. Literally, a friend of mine signed up and Aura found his passwords nine times on the dark web. So go to Aura.com slash Dr. Carter. That's A-U-R-A dot com slash D-R Carter. And use my link and you'll receive a free 14-day trial. And if you continue, then you'll be able to save an additional 40% off all plans. So thanks to the people at Aura.com for sponsoring this episode. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Surviving Narcissism Podcast with your host, Dr. Les Carter. I'm Michaela, the Program Director, and in today's episode, Dr. Carter will discuss The Emotional Chaos Narcissists Bring to You, featuring special guest Katie Morton. Well, hello, Team Healthy. I'm so pleased to have you here with me once again. As you know, I like to bring different people on to talk about uh, issues related to narcissism and what it does to us emotionally and relationally. And today, my special guest is a name that most of you probably know. It's uh, Katie Morton. Katie, uh, I'm so pleased to have you with me here today. Thank you for being with us in our audience. Of course. Thanks for having me. Excited to, to chat. Yeah, well, and and uh, you you've been out in uh, the Los Angeles area for quite some time, and now you've moved back here to Texas. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm in Waco, just and you're straight down I-35. Oh, yeah, you're, you're right, straight down I-35 down in Austin. Uh, mm-hmm. Austin's actually cooler than Waco, I might add. So <laughs> good for you on that. They so, all have their perks, you know. Yeah. Before we get going into our topic here today, how did you get into this field? And uh, I, I know you're. You're way out there in YouTube land and uh, Instagram and all the rest. So how did this, how were you attracted into this profession? Um, The profession itself, I've always, this sounds weird to say, but I always get bored with other jobs. And when I was younger, I always prided myself on being like the secret keeper. You know, if someone told me something, I would never tell anybody else. And I think probably part of the like teenage part of me was like, but I like knowing the dirt too, Mm. you know? if I'm being honest. Um, And there was a psych 101 course that opened up in my high school for senior year. And one of my girlfriends was like, you'd be, you'd love this. We should take this class together. And it piqued my interest. I took it, loved it. Uh, Went to Pepperdine as a music major and a psych major at the time, fell in love with it. And then obviously working in the field really solidified the fact that I did want to do it. I took a year off between undergrad and my graduate school to see if I really want, because graduate school is expensive. My school is expensive. And I was paying for it myself. So wanted to make sure I could really see myself working in the field and just really fell in love with it because it's always changing, right? I never get bored. Patients, people are interesting, right? And I find it so fulfilling. Well, and, and that resonates with me. Thank you. Uh, I find that interesting. You went both into music and psychology. I, I don't guess you would have any way of knowing my my wife has a master's degree in vocal performance. 
Oh, very she's cool. She's classically trained, uh, like mm -hmm. opera and all. And so uh, there's her singing, and then there's me, you know, Hank Williams. Uh, <laughs> there's place for both, right? I really like Hank Williams. So, Well, I, I, I exaggerate. So, anyway, so I, I appreciate that combination quite. We have that in our home. I just had half, I have half of it. So anyway, uh -huh. well, I want to talk today about the, the fact that narcissists bring so much chaos into a relationship. And, and what I'd like to do is I'd like to hear your thoughts about emotionally what we can expect from that narcissistic person and what's going on inside of them because it's so essential for us to know that and then how it can impact the recipient. Um, and that's going to be most of our audience and then emotionally how they get triggered. Um, so let, let's just start with your understanding of narcissism in general. I know that you have such a broad uh, number of topics that you zero in on, but when, when you um, uh, begin realizing somebody is uh, seems to be strongly narcissistic, what kind of things tend to stand out to you that lets you know that's what you're dealing with? Yeah, I think the best way for me personally to kind of consider a narcissist as a whole is think of like a Fabergé egg. So the outside is very pretty. It looks very good because narcissists can be really charismatic. People usually really like them, the ones that don't know them very well. And they put up this really pretty front. Everything looks really good, but it's very thin. And underneath is someone filled with shame, um, a lot of self-deprecation in general, uh, narcissism isn't always but can be born out of trauma so there's often just this fragile sad angry person inside but because they don't want to acknowledge those emotions that they're experiencing they put up this front and pretend that they're they've got it all together and they're doing great and yeah that, we refer that? to that as their false self that they're deeply committed to a 100 and so keeping that in mind when someone in any small way, you might even not perceive it as a non-narcissist, but you scratch at that false persona, that false self, right? That Fabergé egg of them, they lash out because the, like you said, they hold on to that very strongly and the potential threat of that, that protection, you know, is so dangerous to them that they will lash out to keep that up. And so usually we find narcissists reveal themselves when there's some kind of someone that usually goes along with them doesn't, or someone, they, they say one of their big lies about a story and someone's like, that's not, no, that's not what happened. And they're in front of people they want to impress, right? Anything that could kind of potentially force someone to peek behind this false self or scratch at it just a little bit, they will, they will lash out in a ton of different ways. It could be verbally assaultive, you know, through text messages, it could be any kind of way verbally that way. They could also try to, you know, people talk about flying monkeys, but they'll have people who kind of do their bidding and shame other people. Like how dare you? You're such a liar, right? They come out and they like discredit you. Um, yeah. I mean, the ways are endless and we can get into that, but that's kind of how I conceptualize a narcissist and why they can be so volatile because the upkeep of that false self takes a lot of energy. Yes, and it does. You know, it's got to be exhausting. Out. Yeah, I love, I love that uh, Fabergé egg uh, analogy because I mean, as you're saying that, it's like, oh, that is so completely spot on. Mm -hmm. um, one of the uh, the things that we know about narcissists is they 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 come across with a lot of their control agenda. 
Uh, obviously, they're highly self-absorbed, et cetera, and, uh, and they can be uh, very condescending. I, I think it's interesting for us to first, uh, and you were already touching on it, but when you're, and, and by the way, another thing I wanted to mention, uh, you, uh, you said that um, it's when you have the disagreements that it starts to come out. The way I put it is you can tell uh, uh, the, the measure of healthiness that a person has by watching how they manage conflict. Yes, uh, it's really easy for me to be nice to you when you and I agree on everything. Um, mm -hmm. But the mark of maturity is how you manage your conflict. And and you're, you're so spot on uh, uh, the moment they sense some conflict and here comes their dysfunction. Uh, but before we get to that, what, what do we uh, what What would you say are some of the lead uh, emotional ingredients that a narcissist will portray once they start? Uh, unraveling? Because, I mean, the first thing I, I think of is their anger and their uh, yeah. the haughtiness, et cetera. I mean, what, what do you notice along those lines? Yeah, rage was what I think. I, I feel like people who are narcissists can usually, it's like their whole body's filled with anger. Um, so I think of that. Yes, agree with you on that one. And honestly, I think jealousy is a huge piece of it too, because we have to remember, again, they don't feel like a good person. They don't feel that think of shame and embarrassment and low self-esteem. That's like right below the surface. So they're putting up this front that we see and we think, oh, but they feel good. No, they don't. And so the the anger will come, the the jealousy, the sadness. I think a lot of them are very deeply depressed and sad. Again, we might not see that, but that's happening. You know what I mean? I think for those of us on the receiving end, we see a lot of the lashing out and the manipulation and the degradation, right? That they'll do to people. And so yeah. those are, I feel like that's like the biggest bucket for me. You know, the way I put it is it's like you're one wrong sentence or comment away from their irritability. Yes. And, uh, you know, if you're you maybe having a conversation and you say the wrong thing, or like you say, no, I, I don't see it that way. Uh, then sometimes it can come out like they're just annoyed at you. Other times it's like, boom, uh, it's yeah. loud and, uh, th or they can express condescension or contempt, et cetera. Uh, by the way, taking an aside, uh, when, uh, uh, John Gottman, you know, the researcher, uh, came out with his, um, four horsemen, it's like, okay, he's talking about, um, the, the four ingredients that, um, uh, predict the end of a marriage relationship, but he's, he's also, uh, whether he intended to or not, he's talking about narcissism too. Yes. And 100%. At, the top, at the top of the list of, uh, ingredients that shows that a person is, you know, their, their relationships are going to come apart. He talks about the contempt. And, mm -hmm. and so I, I guess uh, we can say that one of the things that we'll see is if you get on the back side of the narcissist or the bad side of the narcissist, you're going to see that. Um, let's go a little bit more deeply into what you were saying. Uh, you see what's on the outside, uh, but on their interior, you've mentioned shame and that's, I, I find that people have a hard time sometimes appreciating how fully of a, an ingredient that is on the inside of that narcissist. Talk about that in terms of what their experience there is and how that's impacting the way that they engage with you. Yeah, I think shame is, is talked about a lot, but maybe not fully understood. So I know people will be like, oh, I felt so ashamed. We use the term ashamed a lot. And we have to think shame isn't just, oh, I did something bad. It's I am bad. Like something's broken, right? For me, um, I've heard from a lot of members of my audience, especially those of us with, you know, complex trauma will think like, 
something's just wrong with me, right? I keep attracting this and it's, it's always my fault. Something's broken inside of me and this is why this happens. So a narcissist actually yeah. experiences a deep level of that because like I said, it, it isn't always, but a lot of times it is born out of trauma. And this fake facade and all of the nastiness that we see is really a protection. And so, and again, I'm not saying this to condone their behavior or to say that it's okay it for them. It explains what's going on. Yeah. And I think it gives us like a, you can understand, I like to know the why, you know, because narcissists don't really have reasons in the moment to act the way they do, right? Everything's an overreaction. And I know we give the term overreaction kind of like, it's such a bad thing, but I'm like, no, in the therapy world, I'm like, it's helpful because something else is going on, right? That's your little like indicator, like a light goes on. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, Hey, and even for me as a regular person, I always encourage everybody, like if you are overreacting, take that and try to understand why listen to it, right? Because it's telling you something I'm really, nobody else seems as upset about this as I am. Maybe I need to take better care of myself, communicate my needs. Maybe I need to speak, you know, there's all sorts of things, but narcissists, struggle so much with shame and I didn't assume like a very low level of confidence and they do like this opposite action, right? They pretend to be, we put up this false self because that feels just too uncomfortable for them to acknowledge. And they're pretty much refusal to acknowledge the pain that they feel or the, the shame, the blame, the guilt, the embarrassment, whatever that is just too raw that essentially the false self is like a defense mechanism and it's so important for them to keep up that defense mechanism that they will do any and everything in their power and so what we'll see the biggest component i believe of in dealing with a narcissist is manipulation and that comes in the form i mean we talk a lot about gaslighting right now i feel like everybody thinks that someone's saying i remembered that differently they're like stop gaslighting me. I'm like, no, (laughs) we can have different memories of situations. You and I are going to experience the same situation differently. Right. However, if I'm doing that with the goal of manipulating you to do something else for me, that's when it's gaslighting. And so I think considering that manipulation component, that's kind of where it comes from and why it's such a key, it plays such a key role in the dysfunction of relationships with narcissists. Uh, I, I'm tracking so much with you. Uh, so many things that you're saying. Um, I, I, I've been asked before, if you had to pick one characteristic or ingredient of narcissism that illustrates that that person has indeed crossed the line into the narcissistic world, which would it be? And mm-hmm. and I too will say, well, what I watch for is the manipulative, exploitive tendency Mm -hmm. you know every one of us at some moment can have a a a controlling aspect or sometimes we uh, overlook somebody else's feelings so that lower level of empathy might oops that slipped in but uh you know we can we can correct ourselves but when a person is very willing to come back and manipulate and exploit and use you as if you're just some sort of toy to play with that's when we know we're dealing with somebody who's really troubled yeah Uh, and, and then going to that shame thing um one of the ways I put it, and you tell me what you think about this, is that um, narcissists very early on learn that there's a big, huge grading system out there. There's a lot of judgment, and you show yourself uh, to the world, whether it's the person in front of you or a group, and you are going to be graded. And so uh, on one hand, uh, they fear that gradation, and uh, but then they also decided, what I'm going to do is I'm going to become the one who pronounces shame. 
And so uh, they they see in you what they uh, won't come to terms with on the inside of themselves, which, of course, is their projection. I mean, does that track with with where you are in your thinking as well? Uh, yeah, 100 percent. I think it is kind of part of it's a manipulative tactic, right? In a, in a way, it's almost like. I, and maybe it's not fully manipulation, but it's almost like instead of them admitting to themselves about what's going on, they push it onto others, that transference of, you know, oh, no, you're the one that's doing this, right? They call you all the names, claim you're doing all the things that they're actually doing and feeling that they yeah. don't want to admit because they're whether they want to recognize it or not, they're in their subconscious somewhere. They're aware that that's happening. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And, and there's another element that uh, a lot of people just um, blow right past. Uh, and you said something that uh, triggered that thought in me. Uh, narcissists um, have a deep fear or dread of, of loneliness. Yes. And, and when I say that, they're constantly looking for admiration. Do I matter? Uh, can I connect with you? Do you think I'm okay? And the implication is because if I'm not, that means it's just me out here in this cold, stark world. And, and, and most people don't really see that that's, that's the dread that they carry on the inside. And so when we say that narcissists carry a lot of chaos, I mean, just in this short little conversation we're already having, we can see there's a lot of unfinished business that they bring to the equation. Mm -hmm. But as you're insinuating, Instead of saying, I need to take ownership of that. Well, yeah. And I mean, and that's the the difficulty with it, right? But I, I love, I do want to talk a little bit about the fact that, you know, they need that, we call it supply, right? They yes. need that, like, to suck the life out of other people because they need all that energy. They need all that admiration, the affirmation, because they can't give it to themselves. Exactly. They're empty. Mm -hmm. And that's what can make them so volatile, right? Especially if people ghost them and cut them out of their life. That's extremely triggering because then they're automatically like, oh my God, I'm alone. I need to fill that, right? So don't be surprised if you leave a narcissist or cut them out or, or even just have boundaries with them. Don't be surprised if they all of a sudden have someone else that they're engaging with that they tell you about, like, look how great this person is. And, you know, it's them engaging with a new supply because again, they can't give that to themselves. But there is a huge piece, and this applies to everybody, but we all have our struggles, right? We all have difficulties. There's going to be certain conflicts that I don't engage with in the right way because it poked my buttons and I'm not, you know, maybe my resilience is down. I haven't taken care of myself. But the difference between a narcissist and the rest of us is that I would come back around, let's say a few hours later, maybe the next day and be like, I'm so sorry. I was having such a hard time. And this is what I, you know, this is where it came from. And I just want to apologize or let's make this right. Right. Someone will, will say sorry for the thing, not apologize that you feel bad. Right. That's not an apology. I'm so sorry. You exactly. feel that way is yeah. like such manipulation. Yep. So I'll apologize for what I did. We'll figure it out. I want to work on this. We'll move forward. That's normal conflict resolution. That's, you know, obviously we'd hope that it could happen in the moment, but it's not perfect. And narcissists can't do that. Yeah, I refer to that. My, uh, my, my viewers on my channel is Team Healthy. And one of the things I talk about is um, healthy people aren't perfect. Uh, but when our flaws and imperfections show up, we take ownership of it. Yeah, and it's like, you know, I, I blew it or I did this wrong or uh, I was overlooking this and, and uh, they'll receive input and feedback. And like you say, uh, 
what, what another key ingredient of narcissism is they can't and won't take responsibility because we go back to that shame. Well, if I admit that there's something wrong with me, then, ooh, this is yeah. not going to work out well. Then that facade is is ruined. Yeah. right? Forever ruined. And I think that's kind of that, what people think of a lot of times when they don't fully understand a narcissist, they'll think like, oh, they're just like boastful and full of themselves. That's like a very, very small piece, but that's where this comes in, right? If I let them see that I'm not perfect and that this isn't like, I'm not the best person in the room, then that means I have to admit all this other stuff. And I can't, yeah. I mean, I it's can't even look uh... at it. Uh, analogy of the tip of the iceberg they're showing you the tip of the iceberg and they don't want you to see everything that's beneath the surface there so on our website survivingnarcissism.tv we offer various courses one of them is entitled this is me establishing boundaries despite the controllers in your life Inside each of my courses, I break it down into modules, and then each module consists of various lessons that have a video, written materials, and questions for personal reflection. And inside This Is Me, we talk about uh, defining who you want to be and then staying inside that definition. We discuss assertiveness skills, how to stay strong without being defensive. If you would be interested in, in enrolling in this course or any of the others that we have, go to our website, click the courses link, and you'll receive all the information for how you can enroll. I hope you would find them to be quite helpful. And now back to Surviving Narcissism with Dr. Carter. Yep. Okay, so we have that person that's going to be in the equation. And then you have the individual who's trying to figure out how to engage with that narcissistic person. And uh, Katie, I know that you've talked a lot about your own growth trajectory with depression or anxiety and things like that, and uh, working hard to make sure that that's something you yourself are able to maintain and manage. Uh, when you, whether it's in your own personal, and by the way, I had a professor way back in the day that said, Les, you're not going to be able to guide anyone any further than where you yourself are able to go. Mm -hmm. And he was issuing a challenge. You know, those of us who are in the therapeutic world need to make sure that we're constantly upgrading what we know about ourselves and, and all like that. So I, I, we need to be honest about that. What's going on with that recipient? Uh, all of this narcissistic chaos and dysregulation that that person brings. What do we typically see, uh, particularly uh, as a person is struggling with that narcissistic person? Yeah, I'd say the number one thing is the walking on eggshells feeling, which can come along with, I know we use that term a lot, but what I mean is almost like an extreme version of this, where we feel almost responsible, Right. I have to do everything perfectly so that I don't set them off. I don't, like I, if, you know how they get. Mm -hmm. And a spouse of a narcissist can say things like, yeah, yeah, I know how they are. You know, don't let's not let's not talk to them about that. They'll try to protect the narcissist from real conflict and real conversations because they know it's going to set them off. And then essentially everybody's going to have to pay for it. Right. So that sets this kind of family dance if this is your family right if you're the child this sets this family dance off where it's like well we don't talk to let's say mom we don't talk to mom about tough things and if she comes in the room we if we feel something's off about her shut it down act perfect do whatever can your I, role is right fall in line story on that? Mm -hmm. I, I was mm -hmm. in a, a setting where uh, we were with a family and uh, there was one particular person in the family that uh, was just 
wheels off, overwhelmingly controlling and opinionated and shut everybody down. And so it's kind of like everybody in the room knew, don't say this because you know how that person gets. Well, there, there was a new person in the, in the, in the, in the group mm -hmm. <laughs> and you can hear it coming. Uh, that person uh, started talking about topics and everybody else in the room was watching they weren't it's abiding like, by the rules. Oh, you, you just so broke the rules by breaking up this subject. And of course, it, it the predictable happened. But yep. it, it is crazy. You have this walking on eggshells kind of feeling. And the narcissist really is so fragile. Mm -hmm. But uh, but you feel fragile because it's like, well, I can't go into that space. You know how they get. Yeah, and it's not worth it to us, right? Because the fallout or the emotional abuse that will sustain the manipulation and all the just swirl, what the stuff we were talking about, right? That kind of like lash out can be too much and it's just not worth it. And so we just don't do certain things, don't talk about certain subjects or act in a specific way. And so that on edge response can, I mean, it can, and there's so many layers, right? If, if the person does lash out, that's emotional abuse and we can have a post-traumatic stress response, at, you know? Yeah. And a lot of my uh, patients and viewers who grew up with a narcissistic parent will have like dissociative episodes. They're like, I don't remember huge chunks of time. I'm like, probably because your parent was busy lashing out <laughs> and yeah. you just couldn't tolerate it, right? It's too much for your system to manage. And so I think considering all of the kind of the quote unquote why behind why a narcissist does what they do, you can see how painful that would be for the person on the receiving end. And the fact that they're going to need you to give them affirmations and support and all of this, know that you're probably not going to get that back unless they think that you're slipping away and they need that supply. Then they might do some little love bombing stuff for a short period to keep you held just, you know, but, it, but know that it's very short lived. We're talking maybe a week, maybe a month, but probably not very long. And right. it can kind of you know, it's hard for them to do that. It takes energy from them. So it usually doesn't last very long. Yeah, you got that right. Uh, you, you mentioned that uh, they can be very, uh, uh, that we can be very thin skinned in, in dealing with them. Uh, I find that it's so natural or easy to become defensive when you're in the presence of the narcissist. But then one of the things we know about narcissism is uh, because they're in that protective mode that you just described, uh, they're pathologically defensive. Uh, yes. I mean, to, to, I mean, there's a huge thick shield around. It. It's like, I will not be vulnerable. You will not get to know me on any kind of deep level. And, and then it comes back to, so why do I need to defend myself mm -hmm. uh, to someone who's that weak and, and off base? Um, what do you notice going on with that person who uh, responds so defensively to their offensive comments, uh, which is their part of their defensiveness, keep it on mm -hmm. you. Uh, well, yeah. What do you notice along those lines? I mean, there's a couple of things that came to mind when you're talking about that. First is it's interesting because if we do get defensive, it's almost like we give, we give up our power, right? Because then we're, we're like on our heels. We're, we're, we're like, Oh, we're responding and reacting, not in a thoughtful way. We're, ooh, it's just that innate reaction. It's normal. Like you said, it's normal to get defensive, but know that a narcissist will then say, they'll turn it around because manipulation is their biggest key. So then they'll say like, well, sure, I did something that hurt your feelings, but now you're yelling at me. So I'm the victim. Yeah. And that's, that's the scenario every that's time. Their game. And so for it's, it's hard. This is a new muscle 
for those of us, if you have to engage with a narcissist, because my encouragement is always just to limit the amount of time because it's so taxing. But if you have to engage with them, the best thing to do is to keep your cool and remove yourself from the situation. Because the second we get defensive is the second that they, they're going to like maximize that. Kind of like, okay, I've got you running now. Well, I'm going to keep chasing you down. Yep. And the more energy you give to it, the better they feel about it. You know, look how, look how dysregulated they are, how crazy they are. Look at yeah. them lashing out. They're, they're always such a bad person. Look at this. You know, that's just, they're going to use that to fuel their own false sense of self. Like, see, look how right I am. Well, I told you they were crazy. One of the <laughs> things that narcissists like to do is to create uh, what we would call the power differential. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm the authority. You're not. Yep. And uh, they want to make sure that you understand which end of that equation you're on. Um, you mentioned something a few minutes ago about how narcissists don't have anything internally to draw upon. They have that emptiness. The implication is if you or I are on the receiving end of a narcissist emotional dysregulation, we need to have something internal. Mm -hmm. to draw upon. And so, uh, and that I know that I'm going to ask you a question uh, regarding what that means, but uh, that ultimately that's what therapy is so much about. And it, yeah. it's not just a one-time, here's the answer, go to, uh, go and do that. <laughs> Likewise, it's not quite that simple, but what is that something that we need or those some things that we need to have from the inside out as we engage with the narcissist who's bringing all of their unresolved chaos to us? Yeah. That, and that is what therapy is all about. And it's the, it's part of even my own personal work. It's essentially, there, there's kind of two components. We could call it all resilience. We could put it under this umbrella of resilience and resilience is really just our ability to weather life storms, right? I have enough support. I take care of myself. Like I'm, I'm drinking enough water, eating, sleeping, taking medication as prescribed, treating any illness, right? I'm doing all these basic things so that when life throws things at me, I can handle it. I don't fly off the handle. Right. Um, some people call it like spoons, like how many spoons do you have? Um, whatever you want to call it, we have a limited amount. And the more that we give to that, it's like we're putting it in our, our resilience bank. And so building that up is going to be key. But then there's there's kind of this like, I feel like more specific to this scenario is that we need to have positive internal dialogue because oh. the narcissist is going to say some really nasty things. And they're going to try, this is the tricky part, especially if it's a family member, because they know enough about you to take some thread of possible truth and that's where they get you. And they try to cause this like fissure in your sense of self, essentially transferring onto you what they feel. Let's just be honest, yep. but it's very wounding, right? Because they're like, Oh, one time you shared with me in confidence that you thought you were a little, you're gaining a little weight or that you're, I don't know, your spouse was more attractive. Or you're than talking you. to me about how angry I am. What about you blowing up last week? You know, that kind of thing. Exactly. Always keeping score. Always keeping score. They've got laundry lists for days of things that have been done to them. They're data gatherers. They are exactly. And they don't forget. And so they'll pull some of those things to really wound you. And the only way to combat that, because we, again, we don't want to get defensive. We don't want to lash out. We'll just, then we're giving them what they want. Instead, it's to remove yourself and take care of yourself and have some positive internal dialogue where you're like, well, I know that this, there's a quote that I love that's like, I would never take feedback um, from someone I wouldn't turn to for advice. Consider that. 
this person is not a, a healthy resource. This isn't someone you'd turn to and be like, but why I know in the world they're... am I letting that person determine where, where I'm going to go in the next five minutes? Exactly. And to affect my mood that much, right? Because that's where our power comes from is the ability to, again, like handle that storm. And before and after engaging with a narcissist, it's good to take care of yourself because it is, like I said, it's really taxing. It, it kind of goes against what we want to do naturally, right? And and you're, it's hard for us to understand that this person doesn't have empathy. That That's really something that I, for those of us with empathy, we can't imagine a life where we can't put ourselves in someone else's position or consider another, you know, without what it could give to me, right? It's this, it's just impossible in some ways for us to feel that but that's what they experience you know one of the things you're mentioning is they they like to find out what's wrong with you and then they're just going to go camp out on it yeah and, and i would tell patients um what if you decided you know there are some things wrong with me that's my starting point mm -hmm. uh, and then the rest of it is and i'm going to learn to love myself lumps, bumps, bruises, and all. And oh, by the way, I'm, I'm continuing to work on those, those things too. I, I'm, I'm always in a progressive kind of direction. And so what you do is you, uh, you head it off at the pass. Mm -hmm. When the narcissist makes it their job to say, let me tell you what's wrong with you. It's like, yeah, uh, got me on that. Um, I, I did have that uh, episode last week. And uh, why don't you and I work on that together here while we're talking about it right now? <laughs> of course, they That's can't do that. Of course. But when you say, yeah, I, I accept the fact that I do have flaws. Yeah. My it's instead of getting combative or defensive, it, it's like you're, you're giving I'm them human. tools they, they don't know how to use. Well, and they don't know how to be vulnerable and human and honest about who they are. And so if, when you have that self-accepting honesty, even as you're continuing in your growth mode, it's like, uh, to me, it's your way of saying, hey, if you think that was going to knock me off my chair, that uh, didn't work, what else you got? Yep. <laughs> and, and it's like, I, I'm, and to your point, consider the source. Mm -hmm. uh, these are damaged individuals, and that's what damaged people do. Um, and so, uh, but I'm going to be okay, even in the moments that you're not okay. And that, that takes a lot of um, pre uh, preconditioning, if you will. Okay, the next time they say this, here's my mindset. Yeah. You kind of have to practice. I always tell people to practice ahead of time. If you even have to pretend that they've said something and like pretend saying yeah. it, role-playing can help because I, I do uh, dialectical behavior therapy a lot. So we talk about emotion mind and yeah. wise mind. And when they start to poke, it's really hard to not get in that emotion mind and be reactive, but that's not going to help us. We have to stay in wise mind where we say, you know what? I know better. I'm going to own up and I'm going to let's work on this. Because if you ever say that to a narcissist, Hey, yeah, I admit I have some faults. Why don't we talk this through and work on it together so that you can work on your stuff and I can work on my stuff that they're like in a short circuit. Well, yeah. they don't know how to deal with that. <laughs> uh, uh, I have two questions that I like to ask people sometimes. Um, uh, question number one is what characteristics, what traits would you like to have most predominant mm -hmm. in your personality? And, you know, people say things like, well, I want to be patient or I want to be understanding or respectful. That's a good, that's always a good one. And so yeah. we, we get multiple uh, uh, answers to that question. Then the second question is, in what circumstances are you least inclined to be that way? Mm -hmm. And and that's that's your uh, wise uh, person and your emotional person. And, uh, well, I'm least likely to be that way when someone is accusing me or, or is just uh, uh, raging or uh, they're in some form or another invalidating me. 
And then the question is, well, can you go ahead and remain consistent with, with the traits that you want to maintain, even when that narcissistic individual is doing absolutely nothing to help your cause? And, and when you're able to pull that off, that's when you know you're making progress. 100%. And it, it also won't be perfect, right? Sometimes there's other situations. Like when you were talking about that, I'm like, yeah, being, uh, you know, called names or shamed or tried to be put down or lashed out at is going to, it's going to be hard, right? But there's also like, consider when there's a lot of turmoil in your life in general, things are really stressful. Maybe you're going through a big transition at work or home or, you know, a lot of things can throw us off. We just want to get up and try again, you know, uh, and make sure that the next time we engage is better than the last. And we held our cool for a little bit longer and we, you know, all the things just little by little will get better. Uh, Katie, one of your books is called Traumatized. And, uh, you know, one of the things that that happens when you uh, have that narcissistic person uh, in your life, they can just some, sometimes the trauma is just extremely large with uh, really bad rage episodes or uh, major abusive kind of episodes. And then sometimes it's the old death by a thousand cuts. They just whittle away over and over and over. And then as you wind up losing your sense of self, that's when that trauma bond uh, begins to occur. Can, can you talk about how that happens? Yeah, a trauma bond is is similar to what we've also called like Stockholm syndrome. And the way that a lot of people have a tough time understanding this from the outside, because it looks like someone who is in relationship with a narcissist or their abuser in general, they can become defensive of them. They they really love them and they want to be with them. And the, the codependency and enmeshment is so intense that it's they don't have a self without that other person, right? Yeah. And the reason this happens is what a lot of people now call like fawning. It's like the fourth stress response. We have fight, flight, freeze, and then we have fawn. And fawn is kind of what it sounds like. You're fawn, you're like people pleasing to an extreme with the hope that if I, again, remember we talked about walking on eggshells with the hope that if I do everything just right, then I won't get hurt again. Yeah. Because I know that deep down they love me. I know that deep down they want to get better. I know we, we try to make well, what up you're these... doing is you're filtering who you are through that person based on what you think their reaction might be. Exactly. You cease to exist in a and real that's way. The bond. And that's, yep, exactly. And so we, we essentially lose ourselves in that relationship with that person and don't feel like we can exist without them. And I know that sounds really maybe crazy to other people or how would this happen? It's self-preservation. A lot of times, like I said, it's that fourth stress response. Maybe we tried fighting, didn't work. Maybe we tried leaving, we got pulled back in. Maybe we just tried freezing, the abuse continued. This is our, we're trying this instead. And especially if we grew up in it, it can be even harder for us to have a strong sense of self before the narcissistic abuse began. Well, and Katie, we could go on and on. I mean, as I'm listening to you, you're, uh, you're, you're where I was 30 years ago, I guess. Uh, and, and I'm, I, I'm so grateful for people in your generation to be speaking into this and taking your own experience and, uh, and sharing it in a very real and, um, and pertinent kind of way. Um, before we wrap here, is there, is there any, um, just kind of words of wisdom for lack of a better way to put it, uh, that you would uh, share with our audience about, you know, when you have that person who themselves is chaotic on the inside and uh, they have all of this dysregulation and you're trying to be the better alternative, um, what what are we going to have to focus on primarily so that we uh, don't get sucked into that whole pattern? 
focus on yourself and the things that feel good to you. Focus on your other relationships. I know not everyone can get away from the, the narcissist in their life or maybe isn't ready to, right? Sometimes it's a parent or a sibling or even a spouse. Make sure you put effort into what I call like your breath in, right? The things that are regenerative and feel good instead of all that breath out because breath out is energy out and it can be really draining. So, you know, even just checking in with yourself, how long should I spend with them? Yeah. Is it 30 minutes that I can handle before I need like recovery time? Is it an hour? Is it two hours? You know, pay attention and and do your best to hold that boundary. Yeah. Narcissists are obviously famous for wanting to be in control. And what I'm hearing you say is, well, I'm not going to hand the control buttons on to them. I, I need to be the one punching those buttons inside of myself. Yeah. And that's why it's good if you can, again, if you don't live with them, to meet them somewhere and say, I have to leave by this time and you leave at that yeah. time. Those are just basic healthy boundaries. They're going to push back yeah. and they're going to try to overstep Factor them. That in. But you will feel good leave doing what you said you do. And that, again, allows for more of that breath in, more of the time spent on you and minimizes that energy suck, essentially. Uh, Katie Morton, thank you so much for being with us here today. Uh, you've been doing the YouTube thing about <laughs> twice as long as I have. For a long time, yeah. <laughs> Go get them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you're media savvy and all of that. You're on Instagram and uh, I'm sure uh, Twitter and all the rest. Yeah. Uh, and people can find you at katiemorton.com. And that's where your books will be. Uh, now, remind you, we have the book Traumatized. And the other one is, are you okay? Is that? Correct. Yes. Okay. Katie, and it's K-A-T-I, no E on the end of it. K-A-T-I, <laughs> Morton. Yep. and uh, dot com. And uh, people can find where you are there and uh, make use of all the resources you have. Thanks so much for being part of our uh, team healthy discussion here. And uh, I, I hope that our paths are going to be able to cross again as we uh, go on down the road. Okay. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me. You're doing such good work. Thanks, Katie. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you for listening. Surviving Narcissism is the product of many years of work done by Dr. Les Carter. Dr. Carter is a best-selling author and therapist with more than 40 years of experience, specializing in anger management and narcissistic personality disorder. You can find more content from Dr. Carter on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Surviving Narcissism, as well as on his website, survivingnarcissism.tv. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We are so glad to have you on Team Healthy.